Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way. And then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place. Um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Good morning. How many of y'all made New Year's resolutions? including the one not to ever make New Year's resolutions again. Yeah? You know, the number one um, kind of segment of uh, the, the purchasing dollar in the early part of the year, can you guess what it is? Yeah, gym memberships and exercise equipment. True. Um, anybody want to guess the number one item in garage sales in August? You got it. Exercise equipment. Yeah. It's, uh, interesting. We, 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 yeah, not so much. So um, the, what, what would, how many of you this year experienced things that you hadn't been expecting in, in 2011? Isn't that Interesting. How many suspect that you will experience things in 2012 that you have no plans for, right? So what do you plan to do for the things for which you have no plans? What would a good year look like? I was talking to Judy, my wife on the way in this morning. Uh, She was was here for the first service. Um, And I said, babe, what, what is... She doesn't make resolutions, so I knew I was going to 
get zinged with this, but what, what do you hope for in 2012? And she said, to survive, to, to make it to the end. And, and I thought, that's kind, kind of cheesy. And then I thought, well, considering the alternative and the Mayan calendar, survival is not a bad option if you come down to it. In fact, though, there's, there's a brilliance to that response. And that is, if you survive in the reality in which you, as a citizen of the kingdom of God, are called to live, if you survive, you win. Right? That, that's really critical for us to, to, to realize, that we, you, by your very life, are an outpost of the kingdom of God, and your job for this year is going to be to stand firm. To not cave in, to not quit, because life is going to happen. Remember? A few years ago, they used to use bumper stickers on the car. Remember the one that said, for those of you who remember bumper stickers, <laughs> those of you who remember bumpers, that's a whole other thing. But anyway, uh, it said, it said uh, life is what happens when you are expecting something else. Isn't that true? We make plans and plans on plans, but then life happens, and our capacity... For life is not in our ability to plan, but our ability to respond to what actually happens. Because life is going to happen, isn't it? And, and, and yeah, certainly we want to plan, we want to schedule, we want to put things in their boxes. We, want to, we spent yesterday cleaning out the garage, and I could have used Lydia's services with her business. and whatnot. It was just... But anyway, um, so we're... we're, 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 we're but then... Life is going to happen. How do, you be, how do you become the kind of person? How do we become the kind of... Because it's not just us as individuals, is it? Life is going to happen to the garden. To the, to the people who are gardeners. When something happens to you as an individual, it happens to us as a community. When something happens to us as a community, it happens to us as individuals. How do we respond to life as it actually happens? So this morning, I want to kind of just give you some, uh, a frame for that. And it's found in the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians. Uh, Paul writes this letter to the churches in Asia Minor. It's a circular letter. It finally ends up in Ephesus, where the New Testament is kind of put together um, as such uh, the first time out. Um, and so if you've got uh, Bibles, we've got a few on the edges here, and you're certainly welcome to those um, if, if you'd care for any. Uh, does anybody need one? Just maybe stick up your hand and we'll make sure you get one. We've got one over there. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Okay, good. So we're on page 817, uh, Ephesians chapter 6. And Paul is finishing up this letter you know, Paul's language here in the first half of the letter is all deep theology about the nature of the church and about the nature of the people of God. Then in the second part of the letter, he gets very practical. This is how it works itself out in, in your relationships with each other, in marriage, in employment, in parenting, child raising, and, and so on and so forth. Then he gets to this in verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might or in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fit with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind then, be alert. Keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So, what's the strategy? What's the strategy to survive and thrive in this year, in this new year, which will guaranteed be predictable in its unpredictability? The only thing consistent is inconsistency. It's within the frame of life. We are called to be jazz musicians in 2012. That is to say, we will be getting a general melody. We will be getting a general chord structure. But somebody's going to throw a wrench in the works, and we're going to have to figure out how to respond to how that works. We're going to figure out how to ad-lib our way through life. For those of us who need everybody to play by the rules and everybody to signal well in advance their intentions, for everybody to let us know what's going to happen so that we have time to plan. Anybody like that besides me? I'm, I'm, I need that. I need that. Um, uh, and and uh, it, it, Life doesn't happen that way. Coworkers go sideways. Things happen financially. You get unexpected blessings that you hadn't counted on, and everything turns sideways. You're all of a sudden in a different reality than you were even 10 minutes ago. Right? So what is our task here? And Paul says at the end of the day, your job is not to get blown over. To stand firm. To hold still. Because the world is going nuts around you. Just maintaining stability will be a witness to a different reality than the rest of the people at your place of employment, in your neighborhood, live in and work in. Can you do that? Well, he thinks so. How do we do it? He says, first of all, be strong in the Lord. There's the secret, isn't it? Our strength is not in ourselves. It's not willpower. It's not determination. It's not cognitive ther uh, behavioral therapy. It's not uh, as good as all of those other things might be. At the end of the day, what will enable us not to get blown over when the wind blows, when the hurricanes, the tsunamis, the earthquakes, the tornadoes come into our lives, what will enable us not to be blown over is not that we're deeply anchored in our own capacity but that we are deeply rooted standing on and in the Lord. 
and that our dependence to maintain that position is not our ability, but the might of the Lord. If He doesn't do for us, we have no capacity to do for ourselves. Does that make sense? It's not like we stand in the Lord and then we hang on for our own dear life. It is that we stand in the Lord by His grace and we remain standing in the Lord by His grace. The, the older you become in the faith, the more mature you become in the faith, the more grace you consume. You don't ever get good at it. Maturity is increased recognition of abject dependence. Immaturity is thinking, I got this one. That's when you're going to get blown over. Can I get a witness? Right? I'll take it from here, Jesus. Thanks so much for getting me here. I got it now. Oh, wait, help. You know, I can't even get out of bed in the morning without the help of the Holy Spirit. If I want to stand by the end of the year. Yeah? So he says, first of all, change your orientation. Change your thinking. Change the stability of your stance. It's in the Lord. It's grounded in Him. It's a deepening relationship in Him. And then He will give us the ways by which we can be strong in the Lord. How do we do that? How can we become strong in the Lord? And I'm going to suggest that that's what that armor is about. That's how we become strong in the Lord. We'll get to that in just a second. But He does this because He wants us to remember, verse 11 now, go ahead and and let's just leave it up there. Uh, Verse 11, He says, put on the full armor of God. Please notice, this is an interesting turn of phrase. The Greek in here um, lets us go both ways with this. It says, first of all, it's the armor that the Lord gives you, that that God gives you, but it's also God's armor. It's the armor God has. We have the capacity, by God's grace and mercy, to receive from Him His capacity for whatever happens. Now, I need you to sit with this for a minute, because that's a little different for us. How many of you recognize that nothing ever occurs to God? He is not caught off guard by anything. I got an email from my my primary care physician. And and I'm at the age where I don't like opening those kinds of emails. Because it inevitably involves more pills and people taking blood and other things, which was the case. And you, and you get a little spike in your anxiety levels, right? And sometimes more than a little spike, and sometimes it doesn't just waver down. As it turned out, it was not a, not a big deal. But others of you and others of us, and in the past seasons of our lives, we have gotten those kind of emails. We've gotten those kind of phone calls. We have gotten those kinds of messages, not just from our doctors, but from our employers. Not just from our employers, but from family members. Not just from family members, but from even inside our own souls. That something's off, something's off, something's off, something's off. What do we do when we do that? We recognize that God has not been caught by surprise by anything that happens to us. It's not like he's sitting up in the heavens and he sees me hovering over that email and he says, Oh, myself. What am I going to do? I wonder what it says. 
I wonder what it means. He's not, no. It's like, I got this one. I got this one. I, I knew this was coming actually before you were born. We're good. Isn't it good that we can put on the armor, not just as a, as a gift from God, but God's armor itself. We can put that on. Because, he says, at the end of the day, you've got to recognize Whatever you think the issue is, whatever you think the problem is, that's not it. We don't wrestle against things that you can see, things that you can figure out, systems that you can manipulate or negotiate with, bureaucracies. We, we don't, no, those are, those are not our problems. And if you're not careful, you're going to think those are your problems. We'll talk about that in a second. We wrestle against, he says, principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness, authorities, powers of this dark world, and so on and so forth. We have an enemy who is strategic in his attacks on us. Why? Well, because he needs to be. The enemy of our souls, whom here is called the devil, is a created being limited, finite in his scope of creativity. It's not inconsiderable, but it is limited and it is finite. So he has no capacity to invent new ways to develop creative ways of getting at us. But he doesn't need to. Because we fall for the same shell game time after time after time after time. How many of you have identified the fact that you have one or two besetting sins? You know what that means, right? Those are going to be the primary ways. It's going to be about insecurity. It's going to be about fear. Uh, it's going to be about body image. It's going to be about intellect. It's going to be about social capacity. It's going to, one or two or, or things primarily. Most of us have got one or two things that just are every time. And, and, and it's like, there, don't you know the bone was broken there? Why are you keeping on smacking away at that thing? Well, because the bone was broken there. Yeah, that's why. And they just keep poking away at us until finally, we just, fine then. I'm going to blow myself up in that area just to get the pressure. And then tomorrow morning, what? <laughs> yeah? He doesn't need to be intelligent. He doesn't need to be brilliant. He's, he's very clever. But he doesn't need to be overly creative. So the schemes of the devil, Paul's language here, reflects to us just the simple fact of the matter that he's got your number. He knows what it is going to take and, and the points of weakness at, that he can exploit. I mean, part of the question is, do you know your number? And how are you responding to that in a way that, that sets us up, right? Uh, one of the ways that he continually works on me is with my imagination. So there are certain movies, there are certain entertainments, there are certain things that I simply cannot allow myself to view. That's not a point of weakness, that's a point of strength. That's an awareness of where an entry point is for me and just closing the door at that point. Do you see? 
So that's part of the part of the strategy, just being aware of that, because our struggle, he says, is not against flesh and blood. And and this is this to me is is the is is the is the biggest thing, because I think that it's my next door neighbor, or I think it's the guy in the cubicle across the way, or I think it's the the guy who snores through the apart, thin apartment walls, or I think it's my neighbor who's or my coworker or or a government agency or a judge or a police officer or and fill in whatever blanks that you might have. Do, do, do you see? And if we're not careful, we are going to target the full force of our frustration, anger, and rage at a person who is being used by a force that he or she does not even acknowledge exists. And then what capacity will we have for the real battle? Because we will have been distracted by our... I mean, Jude and I will come up on our 35th wedding anniversary this year. Hold your applause until we get there. Um, <laughs> I'll let you know, April 30th, in case anybody knows. But anyway, um, <laughs> sometimes that beautiful flesh and blood person is my enemy. And I've got to remember, no, no. Our battle isn't against anything we can see or touch. Those might be the presenting problems. Those might be the avenues, the agencies, that friendship, that roommate, that boss might be the presenting. But at the end of the day, we've got to constantly be saying, what's behind that? What's behind that? You know, you stand in front of a judge, or you stand in front of, a, of an, an attorney, or you stand in front of a, of a, of a bureaucrat and, who, is, who has the power to say yes and says no. What's up with that? And the temptation is to target that person. And when you do that, you miss the real battle, which is behind that person. Right? Because that's what's really going on. That teacher, that professor, that principal, who you view as your problem. Nah, not your problem. They're working out of their fears. They're working out of their insecurities. They're working out of their terror. They're working out of their pain. They are singing a song that they have learned when they were 13 years old and have never had the courage to learn a new song. Who knows what's going on in behind that? Do you see? But they're not your problem. Just like Judy, not my problem. What is in behind? What is be she being used to? That's the problem. Do you, do you see? Principalities, he says, powers. Now, I don't think Paul is giving us a kind of taxonomy of evil here, but I think we need to be aware that there are forces aligned against the people of God, against the kingdom of God, and those who are citizens of the kingdom. By the way, can I just say this out loud? God knows your name. The devil probably doesn't. You're probably not that important to him in the grand scheme of things. You are important to God in his kingdom. 
Do, do you see? So when I, I, I always kind of laugh a little bit. The devil's after me today. When people, students particularly, you know, the 18 to 22-year-olds mostly, the, yeah, you know, the devil's after me uh, working with this group. And, and I'm thinking, you know, I, I bet you he's really not. I bet you he doesn't even really know who you are. I mean, except that you're part of the kingdom of God, and as such, you are collateral damage if he can inflict it. Because his mission is simple and single, which is to what? To damage and destroy and to kill. And he's an equal opportunity exploiter. He doesn't care if you're a citizen of the kingdom of God or not. He wants to kill and destroy everybody and everything. So you as a citizen of the kingdom aren't necessarily more a target than anybody else. He just hates us all and is aligned against us all. So what does victory look like at the end of 2012? Survival. The hurricane comes, the tsunami comes, the earthquake occurs, right? And I'm still standing. Why? I've developed capacity to stand. And where does that come? In the Lord and in the strength of his might, specifically, I think, in these elements of armor. Put on the full armor of God. The goal, that you can stand when the evil day comes. Having done everything, you stand. Verse 14, stand firm. I mean, he's just drilling it home for us here, right? Because the goal is to remember that God has already won the victory. Our job is to hold our sector until victory has been fully accomplished. If you can imagine the imagery of, of, of uh, the Second World War, the tail end, the Allies have landed on the beaches of Normandy. The war is all but over. But it's all not quite finished yet. So we stand in an accomplished victory and at the same time have responsibility to hold our sector until the news of the victory of the king has been announced. Do you, do you see? That's our task. Stand firm. Hold your position. And, and, and the reason I keep on using this language of holding position is because you will notice that all of this armor is defensive. All of it. Let's work, work through it. Stand firm, verse 14. By the way, what, he got, what he's got in mind here? Well, no, I'll get to that. Hold that thought. Uh, no thought to hold. But anyway, um, with the, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, feet fit with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. Let's look at these. I'm just going to snapshot this really, really quick. Paul has got a Roman... Uh, imagery in mind. So he is simply taking the Roman soldier's um, uh, battle armament and he is just highlighting the very, very quick. He doesn't, it, there's, there's probably three times m m more on the list that he could have used, but he's just using a few. This belt is not a belt that holds up your pants. It's a, it's a kind of a, of, of, a, of a leather shield that goes around the lower abdomen comes underneath the, the breastplate and, and is protective of the lower abdomen. The breastplate is leather and it is overladen uh, uh, with, with metal. 
Um, by the way, you'll notice here, none of this armament is on the back. Why? Because somebody else has got your back. The Roman arm, a legion arranged themselves, and you've seen this in various movies and other things, but you, they, they arranged themselves in a square so that every one of them on the outside was facing out. Right? So that somebody else behind and beside you had your back, literally. They protected you. On the outside, the shields, two by four, piece of wood covered in metal, I mean covered in, in, in leather, that then was soaked in water before the battle, so that when flaming arrows came in from above, the guys in the middle holding their shields above would simply catch the flaming arrows and extinguish them, and they would have no effect. In fact, um, historians have looked at the Roman legion, and they said the, the only thing that could reliably defeat a Roman legion would be if they didn't stand firm. If one of their number bolted in fear. You see this, I mean, remember the movie a few years ago, uh, Gladiator? Remember that one scene in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, in the Colosseum? Where, where, you know, early on in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the series of battles, there's a whole bunch of them running around and, and they're just making mincemeat out of them until Maximus, the, the gladiator, gathers them together and uses their shields to form essentially a legion. And they are able simply to stand and by standing to win. You remember who it is? that gets wounded in that battle? It's the one guy who leaves the legion. So whatever else we do here, this is not a solo armament. This is a communal armament. We need each other. Somebody else has our back. We require that. These boots are the half boots, leather shins, three-quarter wraparound. The shield, we've already described that. The helmet had had head and cheek pieces that came down. Um, uh, the sword, by the way, a lot of people think that the sword is, um, is the offensive weaponry. But the sword they're using here is called the, um, uh, is, a, is, a, is a short sword. It's almost just a little longer than a dagger, about uh, 18 inches or so. And it's used for close combat in defensive situations. So the, so the enemy coming in, this, you can't use the long sword. There's no room. You, you, you use the short sword. And Jesus, of course, used this sword, which is the word of God, to great effect when he was under attack. Remember in the wilderness? Uh, Luke 4, Matthew 4. Uh, the, the enemy comes against him, assaults him, right? If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God. Remember? And how does Jesus respond? He just pulls out the short sword the Word of God, and eliminates the threat of that assault. The sword in this particular case is part of the defensive weaponry. So here we are. And, 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 we're, and we're looking at this, and I'm thinking, the first time I read through this, I, th I thought, really? That's it? Because, I mean, unpack this a little bit. J just, just briefly with me here. Look, 
What, what, what are we... The so armor of God is what? Live in the truth. Walk in righteousness. Walk in wholeness. Stand solid in the reality of the kingdom. Keep your head in the game. And know and use the word of God well. That's it. That's what he's doing here. And Paul is just saying, this isn't, this isn't complicated. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're good to go. If, 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 if you're a disciple of Jesus, if, if you get the orientation of your life as a follower of Christ, you're fine. You're fine. You'll be fine. All stuff is going to, people are going to be running around like their hair's on fire all the way around. But no, you're going to be able to, you'll be fine. Just live in integrity, speaking the truth. Right? Have a breastplate of righteousness. Paul is using here the the Old Testament version of righteousness, which is not right standing before God, it's right living before God. That's what he has in mind here. Do what's right. Live with integrity. Do what's right. Right? Make sure you've got the helmet of salvation. That is to say that, that you're standing in the protective reality of God's grace shed abroad in your heart. Have that shield of faith. Faith is the standing in the reality of God's kingdom that has come and is coming. With it, you will be able, having been soaked in the water, to extinguish all of the arrows that come at us. You'll be able, uh, um, um, there are some things, is, isn't this true for you? There are some things that I'm just simply not tempted with. That might be a temptation for one of my sons or might be a temptation for one of my co That's the besetting thing, right? But when I carry that shield of faith, then I can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. That, and the goal of the arrows, by the way, was not simply to, was not primarily at least to, 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 to kill anybody. They recognized that, that raining down arrows on top of shields was not going to likely penetrate the armor. The goal was to terrify them. I mean, just imagine flaming arrows coming down on top of your head, right? That's going to freak me out. And Paul just says, no, no, you'll be fine. You got a helmet on, you got your shield, you're good to go. Because what's the primary weapon the enemy uses against us all universally? Fear. Fear. Fear is going to be the one. No, just, I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. I don't read tea leaves. But I can guarantee that the primary weapon the enemy will use against you this year will be fear. Why? Because it works. What does fear do? It either paralyzes us or it causes us to bolt, to run. And when we are separated from the protective group. Remember, this is, we talked about this, remember in Peter, the enemy is a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. How does a roaring lion work? 
I mean, just think about this. If, 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 as long as the herd stays together, it, by number, is able to ward off almost all of the attacks of the lion. So what does the lion do? It just circles the herd and, and, and causes the ground to vibrate with the growl, with the huffing of that roar. It's pretty, it, it's pretty scary because it's not just an audible sound. It's a, it's a visceral and, and what happens is one of the weak members of the herd panic and run and become lunch. That's what he's saying here. If you have that shield of faith, you don't need to be afraid of the arrows. You'll be fine. Yeah, they're going to come. By the way, did you notice this? They're going to come. It's going to rain fire from heaven. Mayan calendar apart. It, it, it just will. But you'll be fine. Don't, don't panic. At the end of the day, just stand. And then he says in verse 18, pray in the Spirit. So we've got the short sword. We know how to use it. We know the Word of God. Memorization of Scripture. Can I just say this out loud? Make that one of your resolutions for this year. Not just verses, chunks. Memorize that 23rd Psalm that we sang this morning. Dad, carry that with you. That, that's going to lop off some heads. Right? Because you will find yourself in the presence of enemies this year. And what will you discover there? A table spread, a cup poured, and a generous host that says, this is as good for me as any other place. We're fine. Don't panic. You see? Then he says, pray in the Spirit. This is Paul's language. He uses it a number of other places for praying in heavenly language, having been baptized, having been filled with the Spirit, praying both in the language that, of your heart that you have learned, but language that, of heaven that you have been given. And he's just saying, pray. Pray always. Pray every way you possibly can. Prayer, by the way, is the one offensive weapon in our arsenal. Prayer is what will enable us not just to stand, but in standing to win. Because when we've done all this, when we've prayed for each other, we've prayed for ourselves, we've well armed, the flood tide is going to come, and at the end, who's going to remain standing? I can guarantee you that this year things are going to happen that you hadn't planned on happening. Some of them will be just outrageously good. And others of them will be outrageously painful. And you don't get to choose. So, how are you going to be ready? Put on the whole armor of God. Stand in the Lord and in the power of His might. And you'll be fine. Let's pray. I'm going to invite you, uh, Jamie's going to come back. I'm going to invite you just to take a few minutes um, with the people around you. Maybe you want to go to a, one of the crosses, take somebody with you. But people around you are going to be experiencing this year differently than you are. So can we just pray for one another for a few minutes? That God's grace would be rich and strong 
that they would stand in his might. Let's just pray for one another for a few minutes before we we go this morning. Our hearts are open. Well